0: Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you today on this first day of spring. Yeah, you can feel it in the air. Yes. Absolutely. That's always a joy. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Um, Who here has ever worked in any form of customer service? Raise your hand if you've ever done any kind of customer service. Oh, God bless you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you've ever worked in customer service, it's hard work. And one of those things that's hard about customer service is helping people identify the actual problem that they're coming to you with, right? Because people will come to you with all kinds of problems that aren't the actual problem of which they are dealing. And to illustrate that a little bit this morning, I offer you a dramatized version of an actual customer service call. I know it's actual because I found it on the internet. (laughs) So here we go with customer service call. Ring, ring ring ring
1: Customer service, may I help you?
0: Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've got a set of wind chimes that I need to uh, return because they don't work.
1: Oh, I am so sorry to hear that. Are they broken?
0: Well, I figure they must be something, uh, something's wrong with them because they don't make any sound.
1: Hmm. Can you tell me where you hung them?
0: Well, yeah, we, uh, we hung them out on our back porch back there, yeah.
1: Well, that should work just fine.
0: Well, well, uh, I can tell you that uh, they don't. You know, my, my, uh, my wife and I, we sit out on that porch uh, almost every day, and, uh, and there is no sound coming from those, uh, those wind chimes, uh, don't you know?
1: No, huh. that's not coming. No. Well, sir, is your porch screened in? That could reduce the wind. Oh,
0: no, 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 no. We don't have a screened-in porch, no. No, we got a four-season porch out there, so we got windows out there.
1: So your wind chimes are hanging in your enclosed porch.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I said.
1: Oh, I believe I know what your problem is.
0: Oh, that's great there, Daniel. Why well, can you fix it then there for us?
1: No, I can't, but I can sell you a fan.
0: Oh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so easy for any of us to misunderstand the nature, the source, even the degree of our problems in life. And that misunderstanding often leads us to seek solutions that miss the mark or may actually make the problem worse than it was to begin with. So what is the problem? Well, that's the question that we'll be exploring today as we continue in our current sermon series, the following questions. We're talking about discipleship. The kind of questions that we ask that help lead us into a further, closer relationship in following Jesus. And there are generic answers to every one of these questions that we discover over the course of these weeks. But there are specific answers that help us be more united together as the body of Christ and then more focused in our following of Jesus, that's what we call them. Following questions, and as a bit of review, I want to take a look back at the last couple of weeks, so we can look at the first two questions that we already have dealt with. The first question of discipleship is, "Who do you come from? Who do you come from?" And we took a look at that that first week because we want to be sure that we recognize that while we all have a variety of different stories. There is one story that unites us. And while we all have family histories, there is one history that is meant to embrace us all and carry us forward. We have a story that unites us as one family in Jesus Christ. And I can state it to you this way. If Jesus is your Messiah, then Israel is your family And the Bible is your story. And when I'm talking about Israel, I'm talking about the Israel that is revealed to us through Scripture. The story of God and God's people that starts in Genesis, carries all the way through the Gospels to its culmination in Revelation. That is our story. We are grafted into that story because of faith in Jesus Christ. And that helps unite us with one common story Now, it doesn't disregard all of our individual stories. We still have individual stories and individual families. But it helps keep us from being segmented or seeing life and others only through the lens of our own story. Instead, we can be united together on this journey through one common story. It's a story that transcends our individual stories so that we can know the love and forgiveness of Jesus that includes everyone who puts their faith in him, regardless of whatever their story or background happens to be. Who do you come from? We come from that united family in Jesus. And that led us last week then to the second question, which is, who is on your team? It's kind of a natural extension of that first question. Once you figure out and know that your story unites you with others, well, who are those others? Where are they from? What are they like? And we know that in answering that question, if we, if we answer it apart from Jesus, we come up with all kinds of division within our community. I'm on this team. I'm on that team. I've got a different part of people who I like to associate with that are different than those other people. There is a broad and beautiful diversity in God's kingdom. It's something that he intentionally does because as anybody who's ever experienced any kind of sport or worked on a team together, you know that if everybody's all the same, playing all the same position, you won't get anywhere. You need people with different gifts, different skills, different backgrounds in order to round out the fullness of the team. And as Pastor Angie so wisely and wonderfully helped illustrate last week, listen, we have to get used to different. We must get used to different If we want to remain unified in mission while seeing God's grace in every corner of our very diverse community, that helps us understand what team we are on. We are on Team Jesus, and each one of us has roles to play, but we are all different and unique on that team. And that's a glorious, wonderful, and beautiful thing that doesn't divide us. It actually makes us much more effective in mission. So those were the first two questions. Who do you come from and who is on your team? So now that we know where we come from, we understand whose team we are on, that brings us to the next question, which is what's the problem? What's the problem? Listen, every team has obstacles they have to overcome, right? Every job, whether you're on a team at work or whether you're on a sports team or whatever team it happens to be on, there are obstacles that must be overcome. There are things that are in the way. There are goals that you are working towards. And if you aren't clear about what those obstacles are, that can lead you into further problems. So that's what we want to talk about today. It's easy for us to get stuck there in answering that question, what's the problem? Let me see if I can help us reflect on this a little bit more deeply. What do you see as the biggest problem in the world today? Now, don't shout it out. Don't don't answer it. That's a rhetorical question. But I want you to answer it inside yourself. I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a second to think about it, as a matter of fact. What do you see as the biggest problem in the world today? Just take a moment and think about that question. Have you got it? I bet a number of you, it came to you right away. There was like something that came right to the top of that list for you of that big problem in the world today. I'm willing to bet that that of those problems that you have come up with and, and that are impacting your life personally right now, that there's kind of four general categories that will cover them. They're not perfect categories, so... Please forgive me if if yours doesn't get perfectly included in one of these. But but I think there's four general areas that we tend to go to when we talk about the biggest problems in the world today. The first problems that we see are economic. We often go to economic problems, problems of scarcity. When we say to ourselves, I just don't think there's enough, there isn't enough for me, or there isn't enough for my neighbor, or we're running short of something, it's, it's an economic reality, and, and there are consequences, there are other problems that come right out of those economic realities, there's poverty, okay, there's lack of access to, to medicine, there's, there's injustice, There's starvation, there's homelessness, there's there's physical and mental illness that come out of these things. There's a lot of things that can come out of this economic problem. And sometimes that's how we frame things in our world or in our lives. We look at things and we go, the biggest problem that I'm facing or that I see the world facing is an economic problem. But there's a second category, and that category is relational problems. You may look at the problems of your life right now, and say, you know what? I'm lonely. I'm dealing with some family dysfunction right now, some broken relationships between siblings or between parents, between you and a spouse. It may be leading to other kinds of problems like divorce or, or, or other kinds of loss that happen with distance that's come between you and, and a relative or even you and a, and a friend. And sometimes it's, it's not something dark and nefarious. It's just somebody moved out of town, somebody you were close to, and now there's a distance between you and you're feeling that loss. And you go, that's a real problem for me right now. Or, or you've lost someone due to death, a death in the family. These are real things and real problems for sure, and they come under that category of relationship. But then there's further problems that can come out of these things too, and other kinds of categories. A third category might be information. Now, you might not think about information as being a problem, but let me underscore some of the things that come into this category. It, it's things like, well, I think if people just understood more, if people were just better educated, if they just weren't so ignorant about whatever the issues are or whatever's happening in their own life, if they just learned more and had better access to education or to, to technology or to, to better training, it might help help get rid of some of the misinformation or disinformation that's happening. If people just knew more, if they just understood more, and you see that as a major problem right now, it can filter its way all the way down into your own life you know if you're if you're one of those folks who isn't used to carrying around a cell phone and now maybe you're just starting to get one you know i I have a dear relative in my family who who just went from having what i call a dumb phone to having a smartphone (laughs) and now he's learning how that how that smartphone works and and my wife has been spending quite a bit of time with him yes it's you tim i if you're watching today god bless you i love you you're my father-in-law and he's smart, he's a teacher, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have any kind of shyness to these things, but it's just a whole new thing. And it's like, well, this is a problem, I don't, I don't know, everybody else seems to get this and I don't. It can leave us in all kinds of different feelings and places and problems that come from that. And then there's a, a fourth category, and, and this is a big one, and, and it's, it's when we see the world and see the biggest problems as being political problems. Whether they're problems of, of, of leadership or, or, or problems of, of, of corruption or, or, or even the, the problems that we see on a global scale like warfare and, and like all the, the outcome of those type of realities. And we feel powerless in ourselves. We're like, I can't change anything. I can't make those, those things. But, but, but boy, something has to change and, and, and I don't know what to do about it. And those are the big problems. We frame those things as the problems in life. Perhaps you see all of these things as problems, or, or maybe one or two of them comes to the top of your list. And if you compare your list to somebody else's list, you might wind up debating about the solutions to the world's problems because we can't all agree on the true nature of our problems. See, even when we can categorize them, the solutions that we come up with may be just as diverse as the people in the room. All of these problems whether they're economic or relational or informational or political, they have been present in history going all the way back. And they were certainly present in the time of Jesus and the time of his disciples and of the apostles. But Scripture teaches us that while all these problems are real, they are not the primary issue. They're not the primary problem. One thing rises to the top. And in order to discover and explore that further, we're going to open up our Bibles today. We're going to open up to Mark chapter 2. The Gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 2, right at the beginning of that chapter, beginning at verse 1. We're going to read this story of Jesus. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you've got your Bible with you, wonderful. You can open up there and follow along as I read. Beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. There's a whole lot of problems going on in this story, right? Jesus comes back. He's getting ready to teach. they got him in a house, and there's not enough room. And they're jostling around. You imagine his disciples going, what are we going to do? There's no room. For it. A lot of people want to get in here and see Jesus and hear from Jesus. But, I mean, we, can't, we can pile them around the windows, I guess, for a while. But this is going to be hard. What are we going to do? They're looking at a space problem, right? What are we going to do? And then along come these four men carrying their friend. The friend who is being carried on a mat because he's paralyzed can't move. That's a problem, a real problem. Not only is there the problem of our paralyzed friend, but now there's no room for us to get to Jesus. So that problem became our problem, which becomes his problem. What are we going to do now? Well, creative solution. Let's go up on the roof and dig a hole. (laughs) that's what they do, hop up on the roof, dig a hole, and lower their friend down in front of Jesus. You can just imagine the scene, can't you? I mean, Jesus is teaching and preaching, and all of a sudden he looks up and is like, oh, here he comes. And in full view, Jesus can see this man. He can look up and see the the friends who lowered him down in front of him. Here he is. He is presented with the problem. The problem's obvious, right? This guy can't walk. That's the problem, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven, my son. Huh? Jesus, can't you see what the real problem is here? The real problem is this man is paralyzed. And then there's... The teachers of the law who were in the room, too. And they see another whole set of problems, right? This man Jesus just said that he can forgive sins. No, wait a second. Time out there, Jesus. That's not the way things work around here in our system. They've got a system set up. Only God can forgive sins. That's code language for them to say, yeah, listen, we've got the system set up. It's over here at the temple. Show up, buy a couple of doves, bring them to the sacrifice drop a coin into the, to the coffers, and, and everything will be good. That's how this works, Jesus. You can't just walk around forgiving people's sins. That's the problem that they see. All of these different layers of problems that they see, political problems, space problems, economic problems, physical illness, and Jesus trumps them all by simply saying, listen, the number one problem here is Sin. That's the problem. Jesus cuts through all of it and hits it on the head. The most important issue in this paralyzed man's life is that he is a sinner in need of forgiveness. Now, Jesus doesn't dismiss his illness, not at all. In the miraculous power that Jesus has, and to prove to everybody that he has the authority to forgive sins, he heals him. The secondary problem the first problem that Jesus addresses is the problem. He is, a needer, he is a sinner in need of forgiveness. That's because all the world's problems are symptoms of a much deeper problem, which the Bible defines as sin. And that leads us to another problem. <laughs> you see, sin is a small word, just three letters. And sometimes we can reduce it into just a simple definition. Well, sin is just doing some bad things. All of us do some bad things. We, we just, we make some mistakes. Oops, I sinned. Just little things. They're just little things. They're just behavior things. And when we reduce sin to that three letter word and make it that small, we really make a huge mistake. Because sin is not small. It's a small word, but it has enormous implications. You see, sin is rebellion against God and all of God's creation. It's rebellion against God and everything that He has placed into His creation, physically, emotionally, spiritually. From the environment, to the animals, to you and to me, to our systems, to our economics, to our politics, to our information, to our our relationships, all of it, all of it is impacted by sin. It is the absence of trust in God's goodness, power, provision, mercy, and justice. And in fact, it replaces those things with a trust in ourselves, with a trust in our own goodness, our own power, our own ability to provide, our own version of mercy and our own twisted sense of justice. It puts us in that place of God. That's what sin does. That's what sin did in the garden. You'll be like God. There is nothing that is more destructive than this. Sin is far more than just bad behavior. It's it's not just some personal issues that you can manage through some proper self-help or through some good motivation. It's not what it is. If it was, we wouldn't hear what the Apostle Paul describes as the effect of sin in his own life. See, the Apostle Paul had something powerful to say about sin. He had a lot to say about sin, especially in the book of Romans. Romans. From in the book of Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, listen to these words of Paul as he describes his condition and, and relates this condition to others. Starting in verse 14, he says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He understands that sin isn't just a few bad things that you do or the, the many bad things that those other people do, whoever that is. No. Sin is a spiritual enslavement and it claims ownership over everything and everybody. Listen, you don't master your sin You are mastered by your sin. And sin has only one goal death, destruction. That's its goal. And it's very, very good at it. And before I make sin just kind of this separate thing out there somewhere, no, it's real. It's real right inside of you, too. It's in you, it's around you, it's through you, it's between you, it's among us. It's all there. Sin is very, very real, and it's extremely destructive. It seeks to destroy families and whole communities and whole nations and the entire world. Sin is universal, unrelenting, uncompromising, and untamable. It's at work in you, it's at work in me, it's at work in them, whoever them is, and it's at work in us collectively. And now listen closely. You can't fix it through social justice. You can't heal it through better medical care. You can't manage it through better economic policies. You can't vote it out by picking better leaders. You can't cancel it by making better choices. You can't improve it by moving to a better neighborhood. You can't protect your kids from it by finding a better school district. You can't hide it or hide from it by isolating yourself from others. And you can't escape it by better entertainment or a better job or a new car or a new spouse. It doesn't work that way. It infects everything, everywhere, and it's real, and it has one goal, and that's death. Luther declared it on his deathbed when he said, we are beggars. This is true. We're beggars in this. The only thing that we have earned in this life is death, and it's coming for all of us. And it's got a 100% positive track record. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to minimize it. There is only one thing to do about it. And that's confess it. We confess it. We come humbly before the creator of the universe. And we say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner. Yes, Lord, all of the destruction and death and things that are at work around me, they're also at work in me, and I am culpable. I am responsible. We confess it. And then we receive forgiveness because that's God's job. And that's what he does. And that is what he has done. And that is what he continues to do again and again and again. When we confess, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins, your sins, my sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he does, and it's what only he can do. You can't fix the sin in yourself. You can't fix the sin of others. You can only confess it before God, a grace-filled God who wants to offer you that same forgiveness. Through the death of Jesus. You see, all of this sin, all of this death came into focus into one person, the Son of God, Jesus himself. He took it all upon himself past, present, future, personal, communal, political, economic, relational, informational, all of it. He took it all into himself, died the death in his flesh that was owed to every one of us, and then rose to life into a resurrection that offers a promise to you and to me, of eternal life and forgiveness. That is grace. That's grace. That's grace. The sin that wants to put you to death, Jesus put to death on the cross. And by being united with him in his baptism, the baptism that he offers to each and every one of us, we are united with him in a death like his, So that we can be resurrected in a resurrection like his, into new life, into hope, and to grace. And from that place of living in that, we move into God's grace. Friends, we need to be continually reminded of the depth of our sin if we are to truly understand the depth of God's love and forgiveness. That's grace. We must know it. We must confess it. And then we believe and trust in Jesus who offers forgiveness to us. And then we repent, which means turning towards him and see the new life that he has for us. Jesus described the way that sin worked the same way he described the way that grace worked. It's like a little yeast and that same yeast that, that is sin, that is spread throughout the entire loaf and into the entire world and saturated everything is undone through the work of Jesus on the cross so that now that grace, that forgiveness, that new life, that begins. And that becomes the yeast that's in you. And that now starts to spread and starts to grow and starts to work its way out into all those myriad of problems. And they're real. But if we don't start from that place of knowing What sin has done, we will forever confuse the problem and we will forever come up with the wrong solutions. So we start there. What is the problem? Sin. What is the answer? The grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So what do we do next? Well, we confess and we believe and we repent. That's what we do. So let's come to the Lord in prayer right now and come into this place that he has called us to in this very moment. Heavenly Father, you have called us into this moment. And Lord, just as we spent time reflecting about the problems and the brokenness of this world and and come to realize that that we are a part of that through our sin, through our, our neighbor's sin, through the sin that has saturated all of creation all the way since the fall. Lord, we now look to you, and in you, Lord, we see something else. We see forgiveness. We see wholeness and holiness. We see a reversal of the curse and the brokenness that is in this world. And we have hope And we have faith and we put our trust in you and in you alone. You are the answer to the problem, Lord, not us. And you then choose, Lord, to save us and rescue us so that you as the source of life make us the resource of life. And forgiveness and grace to our neighbor so that that grace can saturate every corner of our community and of our neighborhood and of our city and of our state and of our nation and of the world. Help us to see it, Lord, as we see you first. See ourselves as we truly are so that we can see you as who you truly are. Thank you for that gift today, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you.